You're the whisper, you're the shout. It's the sound as the walls come down. On the mountain, through the fire, you are my only desire. On the mountain, on the mountain. You know, we've all had our mountain moments where it's all going good and it's awesome. And it feels like everything is just perfect. But what about through the fire? Through the fire. When God brings you through the fire. We're in a series on faith. And this week, it's trials of faith. Sure, we've got our mountain moments. But what about our through the fire moments? That's what I'm going to encourage you with tonight. It's a word for everyone. You've been through a trial. I've been through a trial. God is good. He's faithful. And He's got an amazing plan and purpose for your life. We're going to just hear from His Word tonight. Let's give Him a shout of praise here tonight. Amen. Thank you, Ben. You're incredible. You're awesome. You guys can take your seats. Awesome. How are we doing? Great. Awesome. So good. Um, Yeah, trials of faith. I'm excited about this word. I shared it at Bankstown this morning. Um, It really spoke to me preparing it. I love words where I'm like, oh my goodness, this feels like my message. So I'm excited to be bringing it tonight. Speaking of trials of faith, Michael and Rita bought a house in Sydney. That is a trial of faith, having a mortgage. Congratulations. Sydney's property prices. You guys should be preaching, not me. That's all right. But um, John the Baptist, um, actually, this morning I was at Bankstown, and before the service, um, I was speaking to Lockie, who's um, just doing his HSC at the moment. Anyone else doing their HSC at the moment? Good. Okay. He's going to pray for you, if you were. But he's doing his HSC, and he was talking about the English exam, and he was saying how um, everyone, every English student, in New South Wales thought the question was going to be on this one thing, thought the test was going to be this one thing. And they'd all prepared these, um, these answers, these essays, th- these responses, because everyone was sure it was going to be this question. It was going to be a particular test. And he walked in, and, and to everyone's surprise, and I think I saw headlines about it in the paper, it was a completely different test. It was a completely different test, and he was talking about how it rattled him and so many of his friends. But in life... Isn't that the case with God? Sometimes we expect a test, but maybe not that test. Hey, God, you know, you said there'd be trial and tribulation, but really, that one, for me? Come on. And and sometimes we get rattled um, walking with God because sometimes we're presented with a trial or a test that is unexpected. John the Baptist was an incredible guy. Um, He knew who he was. He knew who he wasn't, he knew who Jesus was, and he knew what he was called to, like no one else. They came to him and they said, John, you know, you've been out preaching, baptizing people, Um, we've been sent by the temple to ask you who you are. And he could straight away say, with no hesitation, I'm not the Messiah. They said, who are you? He said, I'm not the Messiah. He knew who he wasn't. There was no doubt about that. They said, well, who, who are you? And he said, I'm the one that the scripture spoke about. I'm the one making a way for the Lord. I'm the one shouting out in the wilderness. He knew before he was even born, while he was being knit together in his mother's womb, he knew he was filled with the Holy Spirit then as Mary walked in and greeted his mother. He leapt 
He left. He knew who he was, even in the womb. He knew who he wasn't. He knew who he was. And he knew who he was called, what he was called to, without a shadow of a doubt. He said, I come to baptize with water and call people to repentance, but um, I'm not the Messiah. That's not me. He knew who he was, knew who he wasn't, knew who he was called to, and he knew Jesus. He had that encounter in the womb. He knew who Jesus was. Um, and he, we all know that moment in the Bible where Jesus comes to be baptized by, by John. And God had spoken to John and said, hey, keep an eye out. Whoever you see the Holy Spirit descend on and remain on, that's the guy. That's the Messiah. That's the one you're, you're to point out. That's why you're baptizing. You're baptizing to reveal him. And it happens. And can you imagine what John was going through in that moment when he realizes it's his cousin? He's like second cousin. And John even says it. He says, I didn't, re re I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. And he's sitting there as the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus and remains on him. And John is thinking, yeah, I can't fault this guy. Bit surprised it's my second cousin, but uh, he's lived a pretty good life as, as far as I can tell. He knew who he was, he knew who he wasn't, he knew what he was called to, and he knew who Jesus was. And he straight away, as soon as that happened, I must decrease and he must increase. Go and follow him. He will, I baptize with water, but Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Please go and follow him. He knew who Jesus was. Fast forward six months, maybe three to six months. John is sitting in a dark, dingy, stinking, rat-infested prison. He'd been put in there for speaking up against the king and his wife and their affairs and whatever. And all of a sudden, John is having doubts. He's, he starts thinking, maybe, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not who I thought I am. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the one. Maybe, maybe I've got my call wrong. Maybe I'm someone else. There have been false prophets in the past. Maybe, maybe I'm one of them. Maybe Jesus is one of them. What if Jesus is a false prophet? And he sat there recalling the prophecies and thinking, oh man, I, I thought I had it right, but maybe I've got it wrong. He's suddenly doubting who he is, doubting who he isn't, doubting what he's called to, doubting who Jesus is. And he goes, and it, what a difficult th moment this must have been where he calls his two followers who he's been leading the whole time. They come and visit him in prison and he says, hey, guys, this is going to sound crazy. Because I've been telling you to follow this guy, but I need you to go and I need you to ask Jesus if he's the one. I need you to ask him if he's the one or whether we should be expecting someone else. And they go and ask him. But crazy how he shifted from being completely sure. Like I look at John and I think, there was no one more secure in his faith than John. And then a few months later, he's in the middle of a trial of faith and he's questioning everything. 
And it's so often like that when we're faced with a trial where God gives you a word, God gives you a promise. You're going to have that child, you're going to have that job, you're going to have that partner, and the promise is over there and you're over here. And there's just this distance, this painful division between the two. Promise, reality, painful divide, painful division, painful gap. The Bible says that's a trial of faith, but there's a bridge. The bridge between the two is faith. The bridge that will get you from your reality to the promise that God has for you and to the fulfillment of that promise is faith. It's a bridge you can't see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a substance. It's a real bridge. You can't necessarily see it. It's the evidence of things unseen. You can't see it. But if you take a step out and keep trusting, you will find that there is a bridge underneath you, and that bridge is faith. And you will find yourself crossing and nearing your promise, the promise that God has got for you. It won't be easy, it'll be challenging, but you will find a bridge beneath your feet, and that bridge is faith. Let's give Jesus a hand here tonight. Psalm 105, verse 17 to 19. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tested him. Jesus has received this incredible promise at the age of 17, that his brothers would bow down to him, that the sun, stars, and the moon would bow down to him. He got this promise in a dream at the age of 17. That was the promise. The Bible says that word, the word of the Lord, tested him. It tested him. And didn't it? Didn't it test him? That promise, it's like as soon as it was given, hell was unleashed. As soon as it was, as soon as it was given, everything started coming in the opposite direction. It was like every obstacle that could have possibly arisen arose in that moment as soon as that word was given. And for the next 13 years, Joseph went from prison cell to prison cell until that word came to pass and he was elevated to the second most authoritative position in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. But the word of the Lord tested him. God's given you a word. God's given you a promise. That word is going to test you, just as it tested Joseph. And you, a lot of you have been tested already. And you know what I'm talking about. You know what Peter calls the fiery trial. Because a lot of you are actually sitting in these seats right here because you've, you've been through a trial. And your faith has expanded and your faith has increased and your faith has been purified through that trial. And you have such an assurance in your heart of who Jesus is because of the trial you've come through. And maybe there's someone sitting here tonight who is in the middle of a trial. And you're, you're not sure. You're in the middle of it. You're in the thick of it right now. And your faith is being challenged. But can I promise you, you will get through this. God is faithful. God is good. 
hang in there. God will come through. He's an awesome, amazing God. Yeah, give him a shout of praise. The greater the, greater the divide, the greater the trial. And some of you have got great, great promises that God's given you, but expect great, great trials. Spurgeon says this, he says, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. And he never will until he's taken us all home out of this world. Had one son without sin, but he's never had a son without trial. Isn't that amazing? If God has given you great faith, expect great trials. He hasn't given you the gift of faith to put it on a shelf as a trophy. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. God's given it to you to be used. He wants you to use it and exercise it. He doesn't want it to be sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given it to you. It's purposeless. It's useless sitting on a shelf. In fact, it doesn't even exist if it's sitting on a shelf. The only time it exists, the only time it is actually working or active is the time that it is contested. The only time faith is being exercised is the time that it's being challenged in reality. The very gift of faith is a hint that you need it. Spurgeon says, untried faith is such little faith, some have not thought it faith at all. Smith Wigglesworth says, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. And Adrian Rogers says, a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. I feel... I. You know, there's a certain measure of faith in me that I know is there because of trials I've been through. And I like to think, and I don't know, until it's tested, maybe like John the Baptist, whether, you know, I'd ever have doubts in the future. But I know that there's a certain measure there that I've gotten through coming um, through, like, immense trial. That it's just there and it's unshakable and it's immovable. Um, And I remember this guy I used to work with in a law firm four or five years ago and it troubled me because this guy was such a great guy. He was a great friend of mine, um, social, um, he was really capable, great at his job, really smart, could do no wrong, had perfect family. Um, It was like nothing, nothing was wrong in his world. He was just living the dream and he'd get up and he'd go for his bike rides and you know, and I'd be, you know, going through stuff and my walk with the Lord and this guy doesn't believe, he's got no faith. But I'm like, he doesn't even need it anyway. But I felt for him. I really felt for him because I'm like, oh my goodness, um, you've got no need for faith. Really, until, until he goes through a trial, I, I don't see why he'd, he'd ever um, want to kind of reach out for faith. I don't see why he'd, he'd ever want to reach out for Jesus. And it was, <laughs> it was an awful thing, but I found myself sitting there praying that he'd, he'd go through a trial so that he could find Jesus. It wasn't a serious prayer, but I was actually thinking it at the time. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7. In this you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while. If necessary you have been distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, 
which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If necessary. Hey, it may be necessary for you to go through a trial, God is saying. In his wisdom, God ordains a trial. And it's, it's the trial of your faith. The Bible talks about it as the trial of your faith. It's your trial. It's unique to you. Uh, I, can't, I can't make it through your trial. You can't make it through mine. But there's one ordained for you. And if God's given it, ordained it for you, he will get you through it. His grace is sufficient to get you through it without a shadow of a doubt. But it has a purpose. It tests the genuineness of your faith. If your faith can't stand trial, what good is it anyway? Gold, Peter compares it to gold. Your faith is like gold. It's tested in the furnace. And anything that isn't gold is burnt up in a furnace. It's great when you go through a trial. You find out for yourself how much of your faith was real and how much of it was actually a sham. It helps you know that you're not a fake. It helps you know that you've got real faith, like you possess real gold, and it's more precious than any gold you can ever possess. It purifies your faith. The higher the percentage of foreign substances in gold, the more susceptible gold is to corrosion and corruption. So sometimes there's faith and it's got other things attached to it. It's got mindsets. It's got um, things you shouldn't be thinking or things you shouldn't be feeling. But through the trial, all that stuff is burnt up. All the corruptible um, properties attached to your faith are actually burnt up and your faith is purified. Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, David, this is David, and it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I was like, before, like, before I went through this trial, I, I used to, like, my character was all over the place, I, I went astray, but something happened when I went through this trial, something happened when I went through the furnace of affliction, when I went through the fire, something happened to my character. God worked on my character. He pruned my character. And now I've come through this trial. I've come through the affliction. Um, I keep his word. I'm, I'm not going astray anymore because that stuff has been burnt up in the furnace. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. says, Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. That is another message for another day, and I am not qualified to preach it. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace, and let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. Endurance. Endurance. God wants to create in you endurance. 
I shared this story at Bankstown this morning about the time um, I was, you know, I'm a property lawyer, so I was acting for a landlord, and we were um, leasing a property to Virgin Active in the city. It was a, it was a, you know, a substantial lease for a substantial term for a substantial amount of money. It was for like, you know, three, three or four decades. And Virgin wanted to put a clause in the lease that said, hey, if they discover a pill um, that makes exercise and uh, exercise redundant, um, then we want a way out of the lease. So if science develops to that extent, um, can we just have a clause in the lease saying if, if science you know, goes in that direction and no one has to work out anymore, then um, we want a way out of the lease. And I couldn't believe we were sitting around having this actual real discussion about this, but it was a real issue for them, and it was one that they would not let go of, so it actually ended up being in the lease. But, see, us humans think we can, uh, we can always bypass these things. I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we can be fit and healthy without eating right or exercising, and science has shown us that, um, because you can't, I don't think you can bypass those things. And it's the same thing with endurance. There'll never be a pill to increase your endurance. The only way you get endurance in the kingdom of God is by going through a trial. There is no other way. There is no pill. There never will be. The only way you develop that endurance, walking with the Lord, is through trial. Not living a cushy, comfortable, safe, um, bubble-wrapped life. It's through trials that God does that endurance. You can't bypass it and enter into the promises of God. You can come so far, but you cannot enter the full promise God has for your life. It's only through endurance. And when it seems impossible to hold on, when you've been enduring and it seems, this is it, I can't hold on anymore, that's precisely the time to hold on. That's the moment to hold on. That is the moment to hold on. When you don't think you can and you've been there and I've been there. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can hold on anymore. That's precisely the time to hold on. Yeah. Right. Let's go back to John. He's sitting in this prison cell, defeated, depressed, doubting. He sent this word out. Chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from them to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and said to them, are you, the one, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered him and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Go and tell John that the blind see and the lame walk. Go and tell John that the lepers are healed, the deaf hear. Go and tell John that the dead are raised, poor of the gospel preach to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me go and tell John go and tell John and that is what God does in that moment when you think you cannot hang on any longer when you're feeling like it's game over when you hear that the curtain call God sends his word. God sends you a word in that moment. He does, not let, he does not leave you alone. He never leaves you nor forsake you, but his word will come to you. And John in that cell, 
having all these doubts. And the word of the Lord came to him to confirm who he was, to confirm again who he wasn't, to confirm who Jesus was, and to confirm the call of God on his life. In that moment when you're wondering whether God's going to come through, you will receive a word from God. God's word will come to you. God's word will come to you. Yeah, give him a shout of praise here tonight. And if the band could come, it will come to sustain you. Not the band, the word of God. It is alive and active. It is alive and active. It will come. And I know I've been there so many times where the word of God, where it's come and it's been the the precise word I needed just to keep going. The word of God, it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will find its way to you. No matter where you are, even if you're bound up in a dark, dirty, dingy prison, the word of the Lord will come to you. He will make sure it gets to you because he is good and he is faithful. Um, Earlier this week, I discovered all these unread messages on Facebook that you have to accept. Did anyone else discover that recently? Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Chris. Okay. So there's this thing on Facebook. It said unread messages or unaccepted messages and I clicked on it and I was sitting late at night with Rose and I was shocked because there was this message that I'd received three years ago and I started reading it and I just turned to Rose and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and the message went on and on and on, like a couple of pages. And it was from an old mate of mine who I hadn't seen since 2008 and that was when I was going through my trial and where God came and spoke to me God sent his word his word came to me and he said you're I'm setting you on a different path and I met up with that mate of mine and I said, look, this is what's happened. I've I've gotten saved. God's spoken to me. The word of the Lord's come to me. And I never saw him after that. Never heard from him after that. And then I got this message and it says, Dory, my old time friend, he didn't want to have a bar of it at the time. Like, you know, that's weird. Whatever God's said to you. uh, You know, see ya. Dory, my old time friend, took a bath this morning as I've been doing plenty of lately and you popped into my head to quickly bring you up to speed I've just been through the hardest transformation of my life precedented by a long slow descent into darkness I got lost somewhere after meeting you and allowed darkness into my heart and into my soul which started taking over my life luckily by God's great power I was saved this powerful omniscient feeling came over me and I was saved I do not lie when I tell you that I almost died after throwing myself into a life of sex and drugs hanging out with shallow vacuous types and damaged and hurt souls desperately seeking for feeling I spiraled down and broke my poor body with abuse and disease until I was at the end and at my darkest hour I had a 
conversation with God, with myself, my past lives and future lives and with everyone around me. It's the most beautiful, eye-opening conversation of my life, mostly because it came from a place of pure love. In this timeless moment, I asked questions and received answers. All of my hurt and pain was solved that night. I was told I was perfect, just the way I am. That somehow through childhood trauma and bad decisions, I'd stopped loving myself and convinced myself I didn't deserve God's love. I was told that I was wasting my gifts and my talents and that it was wrong not to use and develop these. Instead of distracting myself with worldly things like escapism and drugs and alcohol. I was also told of the pain to come and the hardships that I would have to endure, but that with God's amazing power in me, I should not be underestimated and I could overcome anything. And the letter goes on to talk about the trial he's in and he's kind of debating it debating what God said to him, whether it makes sense to him or not. But this guy's not a Christian. He's never heard the word of God. But just as the word of God came to John in his moment of trial, just even if you are doubting, even if you don't believe, even if you've never believed, even if you find yourself in a, in a place of doubt, the word of the Lord will still come. Even if you've never heard the name of Jesus, His word will still come. I cannot believe the things He's writing in that email. It's as though He's taken scriptures and put this email together, but the word of the Lord will come. The word of the Lord will come. And, you know, He says, He basically says later on, he said, you were one strong voice that only appeared in my life for a few months, but have resonated deeply throughout it. And I think that conversation I had with him in 2008, in the midst of my trial. So your trial is not actually just for you. And I look back on that moment where Jesus sends his disciples back to John and he says, he doesn't say John, you're coming out of prison he doesn't say John, uh, you know we're going to bail you out, the money's on its way, he says the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and you know, okay I'm reading this thinking, okay where's the bit about John, but there was none apart from confirming who John was who Jesus was who John wasn't and the call on John's life, God was actually just letting John know, hey John, you're going through a trial, but it's not, this trial isn't just for you. There's a lot more at stake. There's so many other lives entangled in your trial. It's not just for you. It's not all about you when you're in the God is in his infinite wisdom, in his unchanging, unfailing love will get you through. It's there for a purpose. It's there 
so others may see it, so others may see your faith, what's gotten you through, because it will actually build their faith. Your faith will be strengthened. Your faith will be built. You'll find yourself on a bridge crossing over into the promises of God, and you will look behind you, and you will see a multitude streaming behind you because they've seen your faithfulness. They've seen you come through the fire. And just as those four young boys who went through the furnace, those three young boys, and Jesus joined them in the furnace, they came out of that fire. And the Bible says they did not even smell of smoke. You will cross that bridge. You will enter the promise of God He has on your life. And you will not even smell 